You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. How many of you guys would uh, admit today that sometimes you start things and you don't finish them? How many of you ever set a goal and you didn't accomplish that goal? Anybody? Lots of people in the room. I think we all kind of tend to struggle with that. We start off strong. We start off with momentum. We've got a goal. We've got energy. We're going to do it. And then life hits us. Things happen and yada, yada, yada. You end up missing you know, what you start out to accomplish. John Acuff recently wrote a book entitled Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. And so he wrote the whole book to help uh, people figure out what it is that typically leads us from not accomplishing our goals. And so one of his first premises of the book is that we're perfectionists and we like to set goals. And if we don't perfectly meet that goal, then we feel like a failure. And when you don't perfectly meet that goal, you feel like a failure, the temptation then is just to quit. I can't do it. I'm I'm never going to do it. You know, here's an example. Um, I wanted to lose 10 pounds, but I got to the date when I was supposed to, you know, have it accomplished. I didn't lose 10. I lost eight. And so I'm mad and upset. Here I go again. I'm a failure. I can never, you know, do it. And so we just give up, right? Instead of celebrating the fact that you lost eight. We condemn ourselves and give up because we didn't get to that goal. That's perfectionism. And the lie of perfectionism is, is, is saying that if you don't reach it perfectly and if it's not a high and you know, lofty goal and you don't get it, then you are a failure. You could be, you know, it could be your diet. And so you've been eating well all week. You show up to FC today and your team leader bought 10 boxes of Richie Cream Donuts. Right? And so then it goes to pot. You, you eat half a box and you're like, man, I'm a failure. I, I didn't, you know, I, I, eat, I ate well all week and then I get to Sunday. I totally screwed up. I'm a failure. Why do I even try in the first place? And you could apply that to any part of your life. I was going to read the Bible and I, I read two chapters, but I was supposed to read seven chapters. I'm a failure. Why even try? And so we quit. That's the lie of deception. Now, when you think about it in terms of your faith, this is, again, uh, something that, that really prevents us from growing because we think that as a follower of Christ, we got to be perfect. And we've got to do everything perfect. And when we don't do it well and we don't live up to the standards of the gospel well in our life, we think we're a failure and we say, why even try? And so there are many of you who have tried and you have this mentality that it didn't take. I'm not good at this stuff. And so why even try? So I'm just going to come every now and then, and I'm not really going to engage. And you can see how this lie of perfectionism could impact every part of your spiritual life. Well, today in our scripture, we're going to see the start of a brand new church in the city of Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians. Paul writes a letter to this church that we're going to see get started right here in Acts chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. This is the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a very influential city. It was a multicultural city, very wealthy city. Um, it was located in a, in a, in a great place for uh, commerce and travel. And then one of the things that it was most well known for was a large meteorite fell from the sky and it landed in the city. And when that happened, the, the people there decided that that uh, was a rock from heaven that Uh, The goddess Artemis sent to our city, and that is an image of Artemis. And so they built a temple uh, around it and and beside it. It was the largest temple in the world at that time. Uh, It uh, was one of the uh, 
uh, seven uh, ancient wonders of the world. So the, the city grew because of this. People traveled to come see this. This was a very influential city. And yes, they worshiped the goddess uh, named Artemis. And so in our scripture today, we're going to see the church start off really, really well. We're going to see some great things, some characteristics of what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Jesus and to, and to start a church on the right foot. And, and then we're not sure everything that happens, but we're going to fast forward to a message that Jesus sends to him in Revelation chapter uh, 2, and, and, and they had missed the mark. They, they, they started strong, but they didn't finish well. And so we want to talk today about how to finish well and, 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 and how do we apply these characteristics. Even when we realize we didn't perfectly live up to Jesus, that doesn't mean all hope has gone. Jesus reminds us what we have to do. So let's start in chapter 19, verse 11. This is a great story. A little funny. I couldn't skip this part today. Verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Pretty amazing, miraculous stuff happening there. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, beat them up, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> now, I mean, this is pretty, pretty intense. Like, this is great. Like, these guys are, are Jewish exorcists. Like, I don't know what school you would go to to become a Jewish exorcist or what you got paid, but this was their job. There were seven guys. They would travel. They would find people with evil spirits, and they would try to exorcise that demon. And so their attempt this time failed because they tried to use the name of Jesus. Now, we've all tried to use Jesus, haven't we? Let's just be honest. We've tried to use the name of Jesus to get something that we wanted. We wanted to score more points. We wanted to get the promotion. We wanted our husband to change or our wife to change. We go to Jesus because we want to use him. But these guys, they don't know Jesus. And, and he's not going to respond to you if, 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 if you're not going to answer those prayers if you are not connected to him, right? And so they, 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 they come and they invoke the name of Jesus. But the evil spirit says, look, we know who Jesus is. We know who Paul is. We respect Paul. But who are you, bro? I don't know you. And you don't know me. And so he leaps on them and he beats them up and he kicks their tail, seven of them, right? So badly that they leave naked and bloody. <laughs> so all, all I know is this, like it's a true beat down if you show up to the fight with clothes on <laughs> and you leave butt naked, right? <laughs> like you got your tail kipped, had pants on, after the fight, no pants. It's not like you can go to your boys and be like, see what happened was, like we were, you know, we were doing it. Like I, was, I almost had them. No, man, you were naked. <laughs> you, you got dealt with, right? And so as a result of this, fear and awe and wonder spread around the city of Ephesus. Now let's look at verse 17. And it says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Now, news travels fast, especially if one guy, you know, beats up seven guys uh, and, and they end up naked. And so both Jews and Greeks, uh, and, they all, uh, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, was worshiped, was lifted high. That's important. Verse 18, also, many of those who were now 
believers. So believers are coming forward. Now, what are they doing? They came confessing and divulging their practices. They came confessing and turning away from their practices. What practices? Well, verse 19 says, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So news travels fast. We don't see a sermon that Paul preaches here, but we assume he is preaching the gospel because it says here in verse 17 that they are lifting up the name of Jesus. They are extolling the name of Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's the first characteristic that we've got to see today. A healthy church is going to be one that lifts up the name of Jesus. And so they do this publicly with the words that they share, the things that they talk about. They are talking about Jesus. They gather together to sing to Jesus. They gather together to pray to Jesus. They gather around the words of Jesus to be changed and to, and to be challenged and, and to apply what they hear from God's word to their life. Like this is why gathering on Sunday morning is important for us. Hebrews says, don't neglect giving up together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't neglect gathering with God's people because there is something unique and special Every single time the people of God gather to lift up the name of Jesus, the presence of God is here. We feel him, we sense him, we pray together, we sing together, we hear the word of God together, we connect to each other. And this is a powerful, powerful habit that every single one of us need to keep at the forefront of our life, to lift up the name of Jesus. Over the last couple of weeks, our staff has been talking about how each service we can tell a difference. Like more of you are responding to Jesus. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Like when we worship, when we sing, we are belting that out. Good voice, bad voice, doesn't matter. Belting that out. Some of you have laid down some of those fears of what's somebody gonna think about me if I like raise my hands and like I really get into it or like I kneel down and pray or we, we're kind of losing that, right? And so when we're, even when we're preaching, like I see more smiles, I see more nods, I see more people engaged. This is the power of gathering together and lifting up the name of Jesus together. This is a wonderful thing. We want to pursue this. This is a characteristic that we see. And the second thing that we see here in the next verse, what are they doing? It says believers, verse 18, came confessing and divulging their evil practices. Now some of them were practicing uh, magic and, and the occult, and so some demon worship, some satanic things happening in this city, and, and uh, so they are, they're giving up those books, they're burning those books, and it also says that they brought silver forward. These are idols that they are bringing forward, and, and they, are, they are actually burning, and so what we're seeing here is a, a church that is confessing and repenting of sin. Another characteristic that you and I need to apply to our life, this needs to be a habit in our life, a habit where we are regularly lifting up the name of Jesus, talking about him, singing to him, hearing from him, gathering together with his people, and we are confessing and repenting of sin. 50,000 pieces of silver, it says. In today's equivalent, about $7 million worth of silver burned. They bring it before the people and they get rid of it. It'd be like us bringing all pornographic material and burning it, not saving it on a USB to, to look at perhaps later. It'd be you bringing forth whatever pills that you are addicted to and not, not giving them to a friend or selling them to someone else, but, but 
but burning them, flushing them down the toilet. Why? Because sin is serious. Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your left eye offends you, pluck it out. Why? Not literally do that, but why would he say that? Because he wants us to know the intensity of sin in our life and the devastation that sin has upon our heart and our life and how it impacts us. And we've got to be a people who regularly confess and repent of our sin. What would it look like to be in a church, to be in a small group where we got fed up with trying to pretend like we have it all together? We got fed up with, with trying to look the part and showing up to church every week, acting like, hey, yeah, we're good, you good, we're good, everybody's good, cool, we'll see you later and we'll pretend next week. What if we got serious about our relationship with Christ and we said, you know what, forget that. I want authentic relationships, I wanna be real. I wanna do what I see in the New Testament, what I, what I see specifically this church in Ephesus do, and they just brought it before everyone and in authenticity and transparency said, this is what my idols are, this is what I was serving, I'm turning to Jesus. This is accountability. This is why small group is so important. This is why in your small group, men, you need one or two or three other guys that you're meeting with regularly and you're confessing sin to. Guys, you're not gonna publicly announce your sin to the whole group. You're gonna freak out all the other wives in the group or the other ladies. Don't need to do that. But you do need to have that one or two or three guys that you're, you're, you're transparent and authentic with them and Ladies, same is true for you. I, I hear people talk about, man, they get, they get the urge to like, man, I want to grow. I want more of Jesus. And so, hey, I want more of Jesus. I want, I want to dive in. So, so what do they want? Bible study. Why? Because that urge of I want to grow naturally pulls us to, well, I got to learn something. I, got, I need knowledge. But here's the reality, guys. If you want more of Jesus, if you want to grow closer to him, a new Bible study, learning a new truth is going to be helpful. I'm not dogging that. But if you're not confessing known sin that is in your life right now, more knowledge is not going to help you. You've got to repent and turn from the sin that's in your life today so that you can get more of Jesus tomorrow. Right? And this is a, an, an authentic view of what it looks like as a, as a church to be one that is convinced that, look, I need to be authentic and real. Confess and repent of sin in my life. James 5.16 says, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And by the way, the world is not impacted by hypocrisy and people who are fake. <laughs> Think about your life. You ever been impressed with somebody you felt like was really fake? Of course not. Why? You, you, that, that's what, those are the people we repel in our life. We don't, we don't like to hang around fake people. We want real, authentic people. And so if we want to make an impact in our city, then we've got to get serious about the fact that, look, we don't want to pretend that we got it all together to the world. You know, yeah, we're cool. We got it all together. They, they already think that they've got to clean themselves up before they're good enough to come to church. Let, let's just have a, a moment of, of confession today. Can we do that, public confession? If, if you're somebody that would admit today that, that you're struggling with some kind of sin, if you're, if you're someone that would admit today that you don't have it all figured out and you're still trying to grow, would you just by a show of hands lift your hand up? Look at that. Lift them up high. Let's see them. Take a look around. All over this room. You see, the reality is every single one of us has issues. Why do we feel the need to pretend? Well, because we're serving and loving the idol of status. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. 
But what would it look like if we brought those idols down before the foot of the cross and we set them on fire and we said, no more. I want more Jesus. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of faking it. See, the reality is we think that we're going to perfectly do this. We don't, so we pretend. We're not living up to it. We pretend until we get fed up with pretending. And some of you just aren't at the end of your rope yet. But eventually, if you don't get honest, you're going to get to the end of your rope and you're going to go, man, I just can't do it. I'm out of here. Didn't take. And we quit. But see, we're not going to do it perfectly. That's why we need each other. And that's why confession and repentance is so important. Because look, if you do not confess, if that is not a habit in your life, if you are not actively turning from sin, if God loves you, and I believe that he does, he will eventually expose you. He will expose that sin that is within your life. College students, I'll talk to you for a second. I, uh, I wish you could come into my office and hear some of the people that I've counseled or some of the people that I'm discipling or a phone call uh, that, that I have because some of you are, are messing around with an addiction to pornography. It starts maybe in high school or middle school and just kind of flourishes and then in college you know, that, that, that thing takes a hold of your heart and, and uh, it's something that you're longing for and you're serving this God of, of pleasure in your life. And, and right now, it doesn't feel like there are a lot of consequences happening in your life, you know? But I wish you could come sit in my office and hear the 45-year-old man who just got exposed with his addiction to pornography and see the devastated wife that, that, that he's left there and, and, and see the, the children that he's hurt. And you see, it's not a pretty picture, but if some of you don't change, if some of you don't repent and turn and confess today, then five, six, seven, I don't know how many years from now, it'll be you. I was talking to a college guy this week, and we were, uh, we were talking about something online, and I was like, oh yeah, just, you can look it up, go to this website. And he, he had an iPhone, and so uh, he said, man, I don't have the internet. I was like, oh, I got a password, this will get you on. And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I took Safari off my, my iPhone. I took every app off my iPhone that connects to the internet. And he looked at me and he said, you, pr- you probably know why. And I said, pornography? He said, yeah. He said, but you know, I've, I've got some guys in my life who are holding me accountable. I've, I've, I've gotten rid of all these apps and God's given me victory. Man, and every day I feel like I'm, I'm growing and every day I'm moving further and further away from that. And I thought to myself, I thought, here's a dude, he doesn't understand it now, but his habit of confession and repentance today is paving the way for one, two, five, ten years from now when he decides to get married and God's going to bless his marriage and give him a fruitful marriage because of his habit today. And if you're here today, students, and you're in this seat and you're not in that habit, your sins will find you out. And perhaps the day that it does find you out, you'll have way more to lose than you do today. When Jesus here is lifted high, confession happens. They bring sin. They get rid and turn from sin. And it says the Lord, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. More people came to know Christ. More people are growing in this church. And so, Let's see the next section here, verse 21, actually verse 23. And it says, about that time, 
there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Again, the way is how they describe Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So Demetrius, uh, he created idols. He was a craftsman that used silver to make an image of Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of business, the goddess of money, the protector of the city. And he would make that craft and then they would sell this uh, idol to the people in the city. All the tourists that would come, they would want to buy an idol, right? And so this was good for their business. Verse 25, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And he said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. In other words, this is, this is how we are wealthy today because we make these idols and people buy them. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying, what's Paul saying? That gods made with hands are not gods. <laughs> Newsflash, if you can make it, it's not a god, <laughs> right? What's Paul doing here? The third thing I want you to write down is that Paul is exposing idols. He's exposing idols. You know what we need to do in our life today? We need to pray that God would expose idols in our life. Because we come to faith, we, we might even grow for a season, but our heart is prone to wonder from the God that we love because we, we never lose that sinful nature. We're, we're a new person, but we're always struggling with sin. And if you're not careful, those, those little idols will become large idols and we'll, we'll begin to worship these things and, and it will pull us away from our commitment to Jesus. And so Paul's preaching and he's saying, hey, God's made with hands are not God's. Verse 27, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged. So the business leaders, the entrepreneurs get together, right? Idols are being exposed in the city. People are turning from sin, confessing Jesus as their Lord, and it is impacting their business. It's impacting their culture. And so they riot to try to get rid of it. You know, when we really lift up the name of Jesus as a church, when we have the habit of confession and repentance, when we are exposing idols continually in our life, fourth thing that happens is that culture is changed. The business culture is being changed right here. What we're seeing is, is yeah, we used to sell a lot of idols, but we're not selling as much. We may have to shut the doors down on this deal. Think about it in our day. If, if in our city the, a movement of God took place and people were turning from sin and, and, and putting their faith and trust in Jesus, and, and, and by the way, it's just emotionalism if, if, if people are not turning from sin, confessing and repenting. You know, Jonathan Edwards talked about this in The Great Awakenings, that, that a lot of people got really excited and, and really emotional, really, woohoo! But if there's not following that emotion, confession and repentance, it's not really a movement of God, but let's just say, if God was doing that here, we saw people coming to faith and we saw people turning from sin and lifting up the name of Jesus so much so that the adult bookstores in town started to close their doors. The strip clubs started to 
to, to, to lock up the doors because they were going out of business because so many people were coming into faith. And see, that sounds pretty far-fetched in our city, but this is exactly what's happening in the city of Ephesus. Culture around them is changing because of the gospel. This past Wednesday, we had a friend come and preach the gospel and the uh, place was packed out with students, high schoolers and middle schoolers. And at the end of the night, he called for confession and repentance and to make Jesus your Lord. And 105 students gave their life to Jesus on Wednesday night. Is that not exciting? Absolutely. And when 105 students come to faith in Christ, home and the culture of a home begins to change. The culture of our church begins to change. I mean, come on. The campus that they go to school begins to change. One of our volunteers, Chris McCarge, got a phone call from his buddy Ben uh, after Wednesday. And Ben called and he just told him, he said, Chris, man, I just want to thank you for continuing to invite me to church. You kept inviting me, you kept after me, and I kept saying, you know what, I don't want to come, no thanks. I kept rejecting it, but you didn't quit, and eventually I came, and God has changed my life. He's changed my life. He said, Chris, I want you to know that this past Wednesday, my daughter Riley, if you know Riley, she likes to be called Blue, so if you see her today, say what's up, Blue. Blue, he said, gave her life to Christ on Wednesday night. He said, thanks, man, for not giving up on me. Now, his little culture in his home is changing, right? Ben is a, is a, a business owner. He serves pools all over our area. And so now here's a business over, owner with the love of Jesus whose who's, who's his culture has been changed at home, at work, in his life, and his family. Now who is dealing and ministering and, 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 and serving our community and all these people now that he's influencing. And you see, this is how culture is changed, Right? Government is not going to change culture, right? We get that. The gospel and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life changes culture. And that's what we see here. They started off so well. We are experiencing it. But we have to continually remind ourselves that anything we make is not a God. <laughs> well, I don't know why we, we fail to remember that, but Paul's always exposing idols and I know a lot of people think that, you know, we don't serve idols anymore. They were serving these little statues. We don't do that, Trent. We're, we're sophisticated. But anybody watch the Super Bowl last week? See the little silver idol that went down the aisle with everybody kissing it and bowing down and crying over it? There's a lot of college student athletes. There's a lot of moms and dads who worship that little idol. And if they don't get that little idol, they don't feel successful in life. You know, an idol is anything that you look at and say, if I have it, then I have peace and comfort and happiness. But I have to have it for my life to have meaning. And if I don't have it, then I'm not living. Every person attempts to rely on something else other than God to save us, to give us hope, to give us meaning. Even as we are committed to Jesus, our heart is prone to wander back towards these idols for hope and for meaning. And so we have to diligently be aware of those idols that creep up in our life. Romans chapter one talks about how idol worship is at the core of every sin that we commit. It's why in the 10 commandments, the number one commandment is, is what? Do not put any what? God's before me. 
Because if you, if you get that one wrong, the next nine are a result of not getting number one right. Because we put idols before God. We serve idols before God. An idol is when you look to something that only God can give you. And so if you're looking for happiness at work, if you're looking for happiness, you know, with making more money or with pleasure, comfort, status, any of these things can become our idol that we bow down to. So when we're living for anything else to get something that only God can give us, we're worshiping an idol. You see, here's the danger, danger of idols. Danger of idols is that an idol promises security and joy apart from God. An idol promises joy and security apart from God. Think about it. What do you, be, what do you believe is, is giving you security today? Your paycheck, bank account, stocks, 401k? What do you think is giving you joy today? Romance, relationships, pleasure, the things that money can get you. You hear people say it all the time, that the good life begins when you find, fill in the blank, when you find love. The good life will come when you find love. And so every movie that comes out about a love story is this. Person A is, is lost and empty and not complete until person B comes along and they fall in love and then they say things like, you complete me, right? I mean, every single love story is, I'm not complete, I, I, I don't have anything going on until I meet that special someone, and now all of a sudden, I'm somebody. I'm nobody until somebody loves me, right? That's a lie. What are you, what are you, what are you believing in? The, the idol of romance. The idol of romance. People say the good life begins when I get the beach house, or the good life begins when my child becomes an all-star when my bank account hits six figures. Here's a question to, to think about today. What if you never get a promotion at work for the rest of your life? If that never happens from this point on, will you be content? Will you be able to find joy? So the answer to that question is revealing because if you would say, no way, man, I would leave, I would not be happy, I have got to make more money, I have got to get the promotion, then perhaps your idol is the God of status. Look, we've raised a generation, me included. I was raised like this, some of you are raised like this, some of you are raising kids like this, and you've said, you're special, you're amazing, you can do anything that you want to do. You're going to do great things in this life. And it sounds great, doesn't it? You're going to do awesome in life. And, and if you just play soccer, you're going to get a trophy. And if you just play and you just show up, we're going to reward you with the ribbon because you get the participation award. Way to go. You didn't do anything. You didn't win. Lost every game. You get a trophy for that. Back in the day, you know, the reward for participating was a jersey. Like, you got a shirt. That's all you got. You had to earn everything else, right? You're amazing. You can do anything. Here's a trophy. Here's a pendant. You're so cool. You're so awesome. What happens when that dude grows up? He's got a wife, a mortgage. He works at Company Z. And he realizes that the expectations that his parents set on him are unfulfilled. Because what he's doing doesn't feel so great. And he tried a few things and he failed. And so he couldn't do everything. So what's he do with that? 
well, he either crumbles under the expectations of his parents, stays really close to them and needy, or he moves really, really, really far away from them to get away from that junk. And ultimately, until he finds his joy and security in who he is as a man of God, recognizing that I can work here, I can work there, I can make that amount, I can make that amount, doesn't matter as long as my heart is bowed before a holy God and I serve him. That's what gives me security. That's what gives me joy. The external things aren't gonna last anyway. Some of you need to repent and turn from sin today. You're bowing down to idols that you're seeking joy in and, and, and what we do is we take good things and we make them God things. You've heard that before. Relationships can be a good thing. Marriage should and could be a good thing. But if you take that good thing and you, you make it an idol and so that you are worshiping the idol of romance, you take what was intended to be good and you distort it. Right? Valentine's Day is this Wednesday, guys. FYI, friendly reminder. Might want to order something on Amazon today or tomorrow unless you're prime. Then you can go maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday, right? Should celebrate her, should love her, should, should, you know, should, should go all out for her. But here's the deal. If you're, if you're worshiping the, the God of romance, you might be single today, you might be married today. Here, here's how you can tell. Do you have any boundaries in your life? Do you have any boundaries in that relationship? Because here's what I see so often. You see a girl dating a guy, and because she worships the God of romance, she doesn't set boundaries physically. And so what she does is she gives herself sexually to this guy. She knows she shouldn't sleep with him and have sex with him, but she does anyway. She, she knows that she shouldn't live with him, but she does anyway. She, she gives herself physically, and she circumvents the will of God in her life for the best possible relationships in her life to bless her and to give her joy, but she circumvents the will of God. Why? Because she bows down to the God of romance. And she doesn't want to lose him because she needs him to make herself feel valuable, to make herself feel confident. And without him, I'm nothing. So if you don't have boundaries, ladies, in that relationship, it's pretty clear. You worship the God of romance. You see, the guy is using you for sex Right, because he, he, his idol is pleasure. And so he, he doesn't care about the standards of God and, and honoring you as a woman of God. And so because he doesn't honor God, he doesn't honor you. And so he circumvents God's will for his life because he bows down to the God of pleasure. He's using you for sex, but guess what? You're using him for affection and love. So it's a, it's a really messed up, crazy relationship. And that's why it's not bringing you joy. That's why you're not content today. Listen, finding that dude is not the end all to your life. You don't need him. You don't need her to bring you joy and satisfaction. In fact, they're not going to do that. Timothy Keller explains this by talking about the difference between a boss and a slave master. And he says... A boss has limitations. He, he has boundaries on what he or she can do to you at work, right? There's, there's limitations. But a slave master has no boundaries. He can kill you, beat you, rape you, sell you. Why? He, there are no boundaries there. 
So you want to know if you're in slavery today, if you want to know if you're bowing down to the God of pleasure or the God of romance, you don't have any boundaries. You're a slave to that sin. Some of you need to go home today and break up with some guy. Some of you need to go home and pack your bags and move out and find another place to live. God is exposing idols in your life. You know, when we, we see this magic, we see some of these evil practices, you know. Paul even talks about it in Ephesians when he writes in the letter. He says, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, against each other. It's against the forces, the, the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. And so he, he's referencing those spiritual dark forces in our world. That it's a real thing. And these, these people had, had turned from that occult, had turned from those practices. So they, they knew what he was talking about. And we watch all these horror movies and all these things on TV. And we think the scariest thing about the devil is when he makes a, a dude, you know, climb up a wall. Or, or like come out of the TV, you know, or spin their head around, make them puke. I, look, that's not the scariest thing that the devil does. Like the scariest thing is Romans 1, when he blinds our minds and he would lead us to not see the idols that are in our life. That's why we've got to expose them. We've got to talk about them. Paul always confronted the idols of a people. We've got to confront our idols. We've got to understand where we're at spiritually. So they started off great. Everything was wonderful, right? Church plant, they are, they're, they're lifting up the name of Jesus. They're confessing, they're repenting, right? They're exposing idols. People are coming to faith and the culture around them is changing so much so that Demetrius and all his people are, are thinking they're gonna go out of business because not as many people are buying. And this is a great thing. I hope our church is like that. I hope we continue to, to dive into that. But the reality is for the church of Ephesus, they, they didn't maintain that level of energy and focus. If you flip over to Revelation chapter two in your Bible, we see Jesus specifically speaking to this church. The church that just started, had a great run, but evidently they had lost their way. Jesus starts chapter two and he says, hey, here are a few things that you guys are doing well. He commends them. But then he starts in verse four and he says this, yet I hold this against you. Here's where you're, here's where you, you're, you're missing it. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand before its place. You see, you can start strong, but you're not going to do it perfectly, right? It's not going to happen. We're all dealing with issues. That doesn't mean you quit. doesn't mean you throw up your hands. doesn't mean you stop church. You stop worship. You stop you know, pursuing Jesus. It means that in your imperfections, you continue to, to walk and, and pursue Christ. And when we do realize that we've messed up, here's what Jesus says. Hey, you've forsaken your first love. Some of you in the room today have forsaken your first love. You've turned away from Jesus Christ. There used to be a time in your life where you were worshiping and you were connected and you were serving, but something happened. I don't know what it was. Life got in the way, and here you are today. God may be speaking directly to your heart. It's time to return to your first love. How do you do that? He says, consider how far you've fallen. 
consider. Think about it. Think about your life. We don't like to think about stuff anymore. We, we just like to stay busy and go home and watch TV mindlessly, kind of zone out there and zone out while we eat and zone out while we look at our phones and we just zone out. And the result is that we never consider where we're at. I would encourage you to consider right now, today and, and even this week to take time to consider where you have fallen. Consider why your marriage is the way it is. Why business is this way? Why is money this way? Why is, why? Consider where you're at. Consider where you have fallen. It's the first thing. Think about it. Secondly, he says, repent. In other words, turn from that sin. Turn from that idol. Change your mind. You're going this way. Agree with God that it's sin. Tell him you're going to go this direction. Turn from that. Get accountability in your life. That's why small groups are so important. Got buddies praying for me, confessing to them, holding me accountable to that. That's how we overcome. He says, repent, change your mind. And then he says, get back to what you used to do. Get back to the excitement that you once had. Get back to the passion and the commitment that you once had. You've lost that. Get it back. How do you get it back? Well, consider where you've fallen and turn from your sin and return to your first love. And he says, if you do that, then my love will remain. Like, like he's not saying that I'm going to love you more if you do this because it's not about him loving us more. He can't love us more. What he's saying there is that you do those things and then your love for him will return. Your love for Christ will grow when you return to him, when you repent of sin, and when you humbly seek the things that you used to do when you came to Christ at first. Some of you have started strong. Some of you aren't ending so well. Jesus says, if you don't turn, I'm going to remove the lampstand. What does that mean? Lights are going to go out, guys. No, that's not what it means. What it means is the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. He says, well, then leave. I planted this church. You guys were worshiping together. You were confessing together. You were, you were turning from sin together. The word of the Lord was increasing in you. Culture was being changed because of you. Something happened. You lost your focus on your first love. And so if you don't get it right, my presence and power is going to go somewhere else. And evidently, they didn't get it right because the church at Ephesus does not exist today. And I would caution us to say, man, we've seen some great things happen at FC, but like we're not even close to being done. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And if we want the Spirit of God to grow us more, personally grow us, if you want Him to grow your, your children and your, and, and your marriage and your, your faith more, then these are the practices and the characteristics that we've got to be committed to. We've got to continually pursue Him. Continually have the habit of confession and repentance in our life. Let's get real about our faith. Let's be real followers of Christ. Let's not pretend any longer. Would you bow your heads? How many of you would say today, you know, if I was honest, been convicted and I need to return to my first love? How many by show of hands would say, that's me today, I need to return to my first love? I see hands all over. It says an act of confession here. God, I've, I've left and I need to return. How many of you would say over the course of the last couple of weeks or even today that 
Spirit has just revealed some idols in your life. He's exposing some idols. How many of you by show of hands would say, yep, idols, I got them. I see all over, hands all over. Let's just take this moment now to confess our sin, to return to our first love. Would you just take a moment, whatever he's revealed to you, and just confess that as sin. Agree with God. Say, God, I, I agree with you. This is sin in my life, and I, I confess that sin to you. I turn from it. I serve you today. I want to worship you today. Restore the joy of my salvation and renew the steadfast spirit within me. Maybe today, some of you have realized that maybe you have never given your life to Christ. And I want to encourage you today before you leave to stop by the care and prayer room. We've got coaches in there, folks that want to pray with you and can help you. Just say, man, I, I need to, I, I think I need to be saved. And they'll pray with you, they'll share with you. Whatever concerns, whatever difficulties you're dealing with today, those folks would love to help you. Father, we come before you and we cast out all idols in our heart and life. Lord, expose those idols in our life. Help us to return to our first love. Lord, help us to lift up the name of Jesus and make confession a habit. May we see culture around us change. Father, we cast them down before you. We ask for your power today. I pray that relationships would form as a result of what you're stirring in our hearts today. Accountability, friendships would be restored and started. And all over this church, hearts would be turning back to their first love. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.